Chapter Twenty Eight of Eighty Seven by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Eight: A Night for Decisions. Am I going to die? These were the first solemn words which confronted the watcher. He waved them for the time being by administering the medicine, by moistening the patient's lips and wiping the cold sweat from his forehead but the question came again, faintly, yet distinctly, am I going to die? Whatever else I may be, I am honest. The doctor had said this to himself not an hour before. Here was a chance to test it. Could he practice dishonesty in this presence? My poor fellow, he said gently, we are doing all we can for you. Dr. Decker has been to see you twice and is coming again tonight am I going to die? A low, hollow voice, great solemn eyes looking at him as if they would read his soul. There was no escape. He must say it as tenderly as he could. I'm afraid, Jarvis. And then stop. He could not speak the word. What next? Not certainly the thing which Dr. Kelland had expected. He was not very familiar with deathbeds, though he had stood beside Dr. Decker at one or two. But Dr. Decker was not present now. The responsibility was his own. The question came as distinctly and solemnly as before. Can you pray? Dr. Kelland felt a cold shudder run through his frame. Here he was at last confronted with something which he could not do. Something which others, hundreds of them, with only a tithe of the knowledge which he possessed, could do. Oh, for Dr. Decker now! We are doing all we can for you, poor fellow. How his own words came back on him tonight! He had just used them, and they were not true. Here was something which was wanted, with mortal need, and the young man bending over the bed felt that he could no more do it than he could hold back that rapidly ebbing life. My father never stands helpless before a dying bed. Such were the words Nettie Decker had spoken to him that evening, and only a little later her father had said, My boy, are you willing to have him slip away from you without being able to say a word to light up the darkness? How was he to bear this? He had not expected consciousness again. When will Dr. Decker come? He can pray. Yes, there it was. Winter Kelland, with all his brilliant education, his rare opportunities for culture, was confronted by his first serious case, and was a failure. There was no denying the humiliation of it, but the pain of refusing a request from the dying was the greater burden now. If he only had retained Jimmy, so he might send for Dr. Decker at once, or for a minister. If there were a minister within call he looked around for the bell with which he was to summon help when needed, but at that moment there were footsteps outside, and a soft tapping at the door, then Mrs. Tryon opened it and peeped in. "'I've just got away from Aunt Charlotte,' she murmured. "'She is very poorly tonight. Is there any change here?' She looked unusually old. She wore a dark wrapper and was collarless. Her gray hair had slipped down on one side, and was straggling about her ear. But the eyes of the sick man fastened upon her, and his hollow voice spoke, "'Mrs. Tryon, can you pray?' 
she gave the doctor a startled inquiring look but he bowed gravely certainly the bow said he is quite himself then the gray-haired collarless woman bent over him poor fellow oh yes i can pray i couldn't have lived through all my trials if i hadn't known how do you want us to kneel right down here and pray for you she was on her knees before the nod of assent was given and the doctor dropped beside her hardly knowing what he did in the intense excitement of the moment oh yes she knew how to pray this uncultured woman how she poured out her soul for the dying man simply as a child might have spoken but with the assurance also which a child would have in going to a father in whom she had unbounded confidence what a blessed thing it was for the graduated physician of whom his college president had said he was destined for a brilliant future that the widow tryon knew how to pray young jarvis did not die that night he dozed again presently and mrs tryon went away and the doctor went back to his letters they were disturbing matters had gone wrong with a fellow graduate and winter was powerless to help him death had come to close the prospects of another death everywhere murmured winter with almost a groan and i am afraid poor graham was not ready for it i wonder if there was anybody to pray then he looked at the other letter both handwriting and postmark were entirely unfamiliar to him yet the letter commenced my dear friend winter have you ever read the story of the man who shot a bow at a venture this is what i am about to do troubled all the time by the humiliating recollection that i had ample opportunity to aim surely and did not do you remember i wonder that morning years ago when i stood at the gate and talked with you as i turned away i said to myself to-night i will have an earnest talk with him but long before night i was far away i think i helped you a little about the arithmetic winter and the algebra but i let the vastly more important matter slip i did not mean to even after i went away i meant surely to write to you and put into words the desire of my heart to see you a student of christ's but i did not the shadows fell thick around me when our old friend miss putnam went home so suddenly my only sister was lying very ill she died not long afterwards of the same disease which took from me my mother i heard through miss putnam's nephew her dear don what a true and valued friend you were to her and to him to the last and i thought when my heart felt a little less sore and my body was a little rested from the strain which had been upon me for so long i would write that letter to you but i did not the weeks went by and another shadow deeper than any before fell upon me i do not know winter whether you ever heard of the death of her dear don if you had you would not have known that my life seemed to have died with him i was to have been married to him winter in another year well i lost you after that i may have lost you forever i do not know what the years have done to you i do not know if you are still on earth yet i venture after all this space to take up my neglected duty and try to gather its ravelled threads there is but one thing i want to say 
then had followed such an appeal as winter had hardly imagined could be written that if he were still unacquainted with the great teacher he would apply to him at once for the only true wisdom long before he reached the close of the closely written pages winter knew of course that the name signed would be elise force he read slowly carefully with an absorbed attention which the events of the night had helped to deepen how strange he said aloud as he at last laid down the paper how strange that this letter should have reached me to-night there had lain inside a card of delicate tint and with a faint perfume of violets hovering about it winter had not noticed it at first but in taking up the envelope he felt it the perfume by that subtle law which we only half understand carried him instantly back to the days of his childhood he drew out the card and examined it carefully it was closely written my stranger friend for you are my friend though a stranger because my elder brother is interested in you and wants to serve you he has commissioned me to-night to write this little card of invitation if you have not yet decided the question he wants me to ask you again to come home he has sent you many invitations and i do not know but it may be you have slighted them many do strange as it may seem for he invites to the palace of the king and has made royal preparations for his guests i want to meet you there i do not know your name miss force did not tell it to me at first and then i asked her not to so that you might feel i knew you as little as you did me and yet that we were to be friends for ever in our father's house i am going i should like to make your acquaintance there how shall we know each other i cannot tell but perhaps the lord christ who knows us both so well and who knows about this which i am writing you will say to you yonder is the woman who in the year eighteen eighty four gave you that invitation hither if he does you will come it may be to me and say you see i accepted the invitation and am come home then we will talk it all over i do not expect to meet you until then but really and truly i shall look for you when i get home good-bye and then the sick man had stirred again and needed attention needed much attention for the next hour and wanted mrs tryon and she came and talked low soothing words to him on her knees and he dozed again and wakened and was cared for tenderly and dr decker stole in on tiptoe and whispered after a few minutes of watchfulness that he thought the patient would live through the day the gray dawn of the morning was now breaking and that one of the hospital attendants had come with him and would stay for a few hours and that he winter would better go home and get some rest for it was going to be a hard day so winter in the growing light gathered up his letters and went home went to his room and locked his door but did not go to sleep he got through with that day and the next busy wearing days they were and poor jarvis was still living on the evening of the third day as the doctor stood just at sunset alone with him he bent over the bed with his hand on the slowly sinking pulse and said low and gently jarvis my dear fellow i can pray with you now 
something very like a flash lighted for a moment the dying eyes and the voice said distinctly that is good it is good to know how to pray i've been thinking i'm so glad my old mother knows how i am glad too doctor that you haven't waited till you lie where i do mine's a wasted life it was wonderful in him to accept it but he did it is wonderful to think of going home i've wanted all summer to go home to mother you know but i never thought of this other home he planned it i shouldn't wonder if mother would be coming very soon doctor i'm glad you can pray speak a few words for me now won't you and dr kelland knelt by his dying patient and offered his first prayer in the hearing of other ears than god's a hard struggle he had been through he felt older by years than on the first night he had watched in this room it had been of no use to try to hide longer behind the neglects of others they might not have done their duty but his eyes being opened he could distinctly see how god himself looking down the years of his life before they had been lived had planned the way given him a father whose memory had been in many ways a blessing given him church and sabbath school privileges enough to lead him if he had not chosen blindness given him the little book two inches square full of invitations which he had not heeded given him miss putnam's life of strict integrity miss putnam's bible which he had treasured and neglected miss force's unselfish helpfulness dr decker's daily practical christianity there was no use in trying to count the milestones of the way yet how certainly it had been marked out for him strewn with invitations over which he had trod as though they had been weeds up to that culminating hour of his life when it had been as though the very spirit of god had said now gather the threads of the young man's past and present woven in one complete chain tighten it about him on this solemn night while the death angel tarries in the room where he watches and make one last effort for his soul now the two roads part now the decision must be made i felt said dr kelland telling dr decker something of the story afterwards i felt as certain that those repeated appeals from your daughter from you from jarvis from mrs tryon and finally from those two remarkable letters had been planned by an unseen hand to gather about me that night for a final call as i feel certain now that if i had declined again i should have had no other call it was my last invitation home there was a peculiar smile on winter's face as he repeated those last words a smile whose entire significance dr decker lost for though winter told him much about miss force and her letter he had passed over the card enclosed with just a word and for some reason very vaguely understood by himself when he put mrs force's letter carefully away inside miss putnam's bible he kept the card and placed it in the pocket of his private diary which he always carried with him if the lord would only give me jarvis's life as a token for the sake of his poor mother said winter to dr decker on the evening of the fifth day of watching i would give my energies toward trying to help him redeem what he calls a wasted life do you think there is any hope at all doctor i do not see a gleam of hope i believe the lord has other plans 
and he can take care of the mother i have just been in to see the dear fellow he is quiet peaceful and sinking fast at midnight he died dr kelland was kneeling beside him at the time dr kelland's voice in prayer followed him to the very threshold of the other world and his last word had been with a smile it is good to know how to pray i'm glad mother knows as the doctor turned to leave the quiet form which needed nothing more from him a telegram was handed to him bearing the young man's name he tore it open glanced at it smiled and saying only i will attend to the reply left the room and went home in the private office was dr decker winter stopped with him long enough to say doctor he is gone he died at five minutes of twelve and look here this telegram was handed me just afterwards you were right god took care of the old mother she was there to meet him fully two hours ahead of him End of chapter 28